welcome back to the Siding Lamp podcast, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. On this week's episode, we are warming up for the upcoming 2022 season, which starts in a few weeks' time in Qatar. Now, we couldn't start the year without looking back at the 2021 season, so let's start at the beginning. Fabio Quattararo was crowned the MotoGP champion. What are your guys' thoughts on that? It had to be the biggest news of the year. It was just an incredible season for him, and I think he deserved the win. Like, he he really deserved it. I wanted Paco to win it first, but Fabio getting that championship was just a story. Yeah, for me, like, Paco kind of showed up, like, mid-season because it was, like, I think Zarco was P2 for a long time. And, like, then all of a sudden, like, was it Aragon where like Peko won for the first time and then all of a sudden he was in the championship fight and I was like because I love Fabio so much um as a like a racer and everything and the, my friend who got me into MotoGP um she kind of like drove that Fabio propaganda on me but um like I was just so surprised I was sitting there like how like it was on, in Fabio's control for so long and then all of a sudden we we're talking about Peko as well and I was just sitting there like where did this come from oh like, Peko, was... I love you but where yeah but you're so right and mentioning that Peko only took his first MotoGP win in Aragon this season it was pretty mad to me to even think because he's always been there or thereabouts in the MotoGP class and then when watching that race to find out that that was only his first ever win but then it's like something clicked inside of him and then he couldn't stop winning because then obviously he went on to win more races and was at the front and dominating and was yeah he just it felt like he came out of nowhere and all of a sudden Fabio had this added like added pressure like obviously you're leading the championship that's pretty stressful but then all of a sudden to have someone like breathing down your neck like that I it was a very very good championship battle in that sense it was it was such a story because Peko um was so consistent in what he was doing from that one win on like the confidence was there he knew what he had to do and of course like it resumed in Mizano with that bar crash well it wasn't like harmful because he didn't really get hurt but he crashed out of contention um which was really sad but these two guys gave us such a battle and I think it was an amazing season in my books. I absolutely loved it. The bikes definitely played a part, seeing as the Yamaha really wasn't very strong. And the Ducati is just dominating the field. Um, the Yamaha isn't very strong in the wet, as we can have seen from Fabio's performances on it. It is terrible, really. And the Ducati was just, I think Peko is winning races and Fabio is coming like 10th. So it shows yeah. that Fabio didn't just win it by like a mile. He did have a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, but you could yeah, also and... see like the bike didn't really do well in the wet and it wasn't his fault. It kind of was the bike. So that was an interesting topic to me as well because they really struggled. But I know you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, um, going 
maybe a bit of a different topic but also like going back to Pekka's win like I think it was the confidence boost that he needed like Jules already said because after that he just picked it up and he started winning and winning and winning but when you think about it it's strange to think that Jorge Martin got his first win before Pekka did yeah that's actually insane but what was it did Pekka get like five poles in a row was it five yeah that was mental I remember my dad and I were watching it and I was like how does this man do this like five poles in a row is a lot I think there was some I don't I don't a record broken but I can't remember if he did break a record because I remember Valentino saying about if Pecco gets more pole positions you know in a row or something like that that he was gonna beat um a record that that Rossi had but don't quote me on that, but he was so, definitely on a roll. Pecco had five poles in a row from uh, Aragon to the second Portugal. But what's surprising is Fabio also had five poles in a row at the start of the season from the first Portugal race to Catalan, I think. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know so that. I think, yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I don't think I did really. Well, I knew Fabio had lots of poles. Hmm. I don't think anyone realised that he also had five poles in a row, yeah. just like Pekka did. And I, think not, I think a lot of people forget about Fabio's first half of the season because yeah. Pekka definitely had the upper hand in the second half. But if you're looking at it, what really surprised me was how mentally strong and calm Fabio was throughout the entire season. He was facing a lot of... Uh, issues and also when he started uh, to replace Valentino Rossi and a factory seat it's not easy to like uh, really grasp it yeah didn't he talk about that in the little documentary they put up on the video pass where he was like this was absolutely insane going into that Yamaha team and replacing Valentino Rossi yeah like how do you feel when you have to replace Valentino Rossi? That's, by the way, I just looked up the most consecutive pole positions. The most were 12 by McDohan in 1997. Um, and then it was nine, seven, six, and five, which is a record Valentino Rossi holds. And now Fabio and Paco as well. Hmm. I think back to what Anik was saying at the at the start of the season, just to, to echo on from Fabio obviously stepping into the shoes of Valentino Rossi, which, you know, no pressure at all, Fabio, like just come on in and ride the Yamaha, like the iconic Yamaha and the iconic seat that is Valentino Rossi's. But I think moving on from that, he definitely did have more struggles because obviously he suffered from arm pump then and again referencing back to the documentary I don't know if people have seen it but he did talk about it earlier in the season that he was getting feelings of arm pump especially after the second race in Qatar and then obviously it happened during the race and I mean he fell back from first place to 13th I think obviously he still managed to finish the race but then you know, the pressure and the struggle of having to go get surgery on that and then come back 
and try and dominate and you know back where you left off really I think that was probably his biggest struggle of the season obviously Peko coming strong in the second half would have been stressful but to have a physical battle like that I think was definitely added pressure and maybe a pressure that people sort of forget about and don't talk about because it's not something you see almost the struggles that he goes through physically but yeah it crazy to me to be honest that he managed to do it if you compare him to the 2020 season where he completely lost his head and he's openly said that himself and said the 2020 season was a disaster really to this he was so mentally strong in this season like with everything he had to face and also the other drama going on at Yamaha which we're going to talk about later um he really kept his cool like he just did what he had to do and he really performed so well considering the arm pump and like he knew that it was probably coming because his arm just hurt out of nowhere and he didn't really know what to do and then obviously he had to get the surgery um i also remember him talking to valentino um like in the documentary like they showed a bit where he was like you know it just comes and goes and while was like well doesn't look good um so yeah you're totally right he improved I think his like mental strength a lot from 2020 to 2021 and I'm curious to see uh what he does in 2022 I think that's what like gave him the upper hand in the entire championship fight because it was not only the arm pump it was as well his letters malfunction in Catalonia, which must have been very hard for him, like not only to face all these penalties, but as well the comments of the other riders afterwards. It was also very interesting. Mm -hmm. Then to come back from that is also, I imagine, not that easy. I completely forgot about that. that Yeah, like how did we completely forget about that (laughs) considering how big it was? I remember actually watching the race at the time and... I mean, I was just stunned how he wasn't disqualified from the race. Never mind, just handed Same. a six-second penalty in the end. Ended up being, like, very, very interesting. I remember everyone, like, at least on the German stream, it was something along the lines of, well, he opened the leathers himself. Like, he just yeah. did it. They were, like, speculating if, like, an animal, like a bee or something, flew in there and stung him. And so they were like, maybe he just opened it to get like the thing out. Um, and to this day, was it just a malfunction? I don't know. I don't think anything publicly got said about it. But mm-hmm. I'm sorry they didn't black flag it or anything because he was literally riding around with his levers open for about three laps. Mm. Yeah. Laps. Um, Alpine Star said that it wasn't a failure on their side. So they yeah. basically confirmed that maybe he didn't put the zipper up completely so it looked in and then it opened on its own but it wasn't really a failure of the material yeah Yeah. that was just that was such a weird story (laughs) like has that ever happened before I don't recall any incident like that where the leathers just pop open during the race that was that was a story I was just gonna say to 
well, to move on from Fabio being very dominant this season, because I do think it's something that we could just talk about for a whole episode in itself <laughs> and how great his 2021 season was. Uh, Jules mentioned earlier a bit of struggles with Yamaha. Now, we touched on it slightly that obviously the bike isn't as good as some others on the grid, but there was also some struggles in the Yamaha garage regarding Fabio's teammate, Maverick Vinales. Now, he started the season on a high. I mean, he won the first race in Qatar, but after that, things went downhill very quickly. What are your guys' views on the whole Maverick Vinales and Yamaha situation? Um, for me, I think that also kind of ropes into Fabio because that must affect him as well to like for two, was it two or three races not to have a teammate at all? Mm-hmm. And then even though he and Franco have worked before, like together before, it's still a different team. So a different environment. So that also must be difficult because like in a sense, after Maverick left, he didn't have any like valid data to like compare his results to because obviously Franco was coming back from an injury and into a new team he had to adapt like it was a whole less situation but other than that I do think there was more going on than just like the engine thing that happened in the pit lane that isn't like even 100% confirmed yet I think because like it was very weird for Yamaha themselves to like throw their own rider under the bus, essentially, because usually you would see teams trying to uh, protect their own riders and be like, oh, no, this didn't happen. So there must be something else, like some maybe tension going on for them to openly be like, oh, yo, yeah, you did this. So we're pulling you, like suspending you and you're not going to be able to ride. Because with that, they also threw away their chances of winning, like, the um, team's championship. Yeah. Yeah, that's something you also have to think about, where I think the atmosphere in the whole team was probably a bit off. Like, you knew something was going on. And I imagine it being quite hard to work under circumstances where you don't really know what's going to happen. I think it was quite clear to see the deteriorating relationship between uh, Maverick and Yamaha in Assen when they both got on the podium. Yes. And you've just seen Fabio's <laughs> side of the garage go wild and Maverick didn't even celebrate at all with his people. And I think it is, yeah, you, you could really see how they went from such a high to lower and lower and everyone on his side of the garage was getting a bit frustrated with everything yeah yeah wh- how, what did Günther Steiner and Drive to Survive say very high highs and very low lows was it something <laughs> along those lines I think so and that's exactly what it felt like like the low was a very very low one for Yamaha and Maverick I think I'm still very torn on the entire situation because on one side, I'm, I can understand Maverick's feelings. He went into the season thinking he was the number one rider, and that changed up pretty quickly. So I can understand that it was hard for him to get his head around. But if he actually blew up the engine, like on purpose, it is so disrespectful to all his mechanics and engineers who spend hours and hours working on the bike and they do everything for the team. They don't see their families almost the entire year. 
Um, on that side, I understand why Yamaha let go of him. Totally. Yeah, definitely. And I think also with the mechanic side, I think they must have been frustrated in general. And you saw it with in F1, you saw it kind of like with Nico and Lewis and how they swapped their mechanics. Because like in a certain point, if the other rider is constantly winning and they get the reward from it, they get to like celebrate it, they get to have fun. Um, for the other side of the garage, it must be quite hard and challenging um, for them to like take it and especially then when Maverick would do well like you said that in Assen he got on the podium and he didn't even celebrate so when you have the other rider doing well so often and him like bringing the atmosphere up in the garage and then your own rider even when he does well doesn't like celebrate with the mechanics I think it must be like really hurtful to the atmosphere. I think another point as well which Alex said just a wee minute ago was that you know Maverick Vinales came into 2021 expecting to be the number one rider in the Yamaha team you know he's had Valentino Rossi as his teammate since 2017 I think it is and like okay Valentino Rossi's finally gone from from Yamaha because obviously he moved to Patronus and he's going this is my season you know I've got some young kid moving into the team I'm going to be the number one rider I mean he made Fabio switch which side of the garage he was on so I think Maverick moved so he was on what would have been Valentino's side of the garage as like a power move or a power stance to be like I am the number one rider in this team I think that's definitely how he started this season you know so strong being like I'm going to be the number one rider definitely had to be a mental thing then for for Fabio he was trying to play mind games with Fabio I think and it, it obviously didn't work out for him yeah and obviously because Fabio didn't have a very strong teammate they couldn't go on and win the championship um the team championship the constructors championship I mean <laughs> like Pecco and Jack Jack was always backing Pecco up no matter what yeah. whereas Maverick he had no team like spirit or anything he he even when he got on the podium he didn't celebrate Fabio or anything so I think this it really shows that Maverick just clearly didn't click with Yamaha yeah and I think a big thing with that is now it came out recently I don't know if you guys seen this but he did an interview I can't remember who it was with but Maverick has openly admitted that he thinks that his move to Yamaha from Suzuki was a mistake And he has literally put that out in the open and been like, I never should have left Suzuki for Yamaha, which I just think is such a big kick in the teeth to Yamaha because obviously he was with them for quite a few years. But to openly say that he never should have went there, I think is pretty mad. And to be honest, since we've talked about, obviously, did he blow up his engine? Was there a big fallout? Like the fact that he got another ride off of, the back of that bad attitude is quite surprising to me because for me if I was a team boss looking at that sort of attitude and that sort of personality and his behavior I would not be signing him to my team based off of that I just think it was childish to be honest yeah I do like agree with that but what I find also interesting is like how Maverick's whole like 
Maverick just changed when he went to Aprilia. He was like so much more relaxed. Like you could even like see on his like face that he was like, I would say he looked much happier. And I don't know if it was because he was uh, again teammates with uh, Aleish. Not gonna attempt to say his last name here, um, but like he had a teammate that he was with uh, in with Su- Suzuki, and like mm-hmm. he, Lauren pointed out, he has said that leaving Suzuki was a mistake, and I don't know if it also paid uh, played a part that like Aprilia isn't a championship contender team, so it had like much less pressure uh, to put on him, but it was just like. I remember like when Yamaha suspended him and then like Aprilia were like, well, we're taking him. And then it was like <laughs> this two weeks of like a whole mess just happening, things happening left and right. And like, I was just sat there like, what is going on? That was the most confusing time during the whole th- season, I think, because my dad and I, I remember us talking about the suspension and we were questioning if he could get another ride for the 2022 season so quickly. Because as Lauren already said, um, it's a, like a question of attitude, I think. And I wasn't sure if any team would take him on with that kind of attitude. But apparently he proved to them that he would want to work with Aprilia. And I mean, he's also a good rider. Like we can't just disregard that um he's a good rider he brings skill to the table so I was kind of surprised it happened that quickly but in the end I'm not surprised that he found another ride another seat yeah and I think what might be possible is that he had already signed the contract with Aprilia before the engine thing happened I'm not sure if there's a date on that like have they come out and said it because but when Maverick got um, suspended from, like, Yamaha, like, even the first weekend that he was out, he was still in, like, Red Bull ring. And, like, I remember him posting a video of Aleish riding before they announced him at Aprilia. And he was like, you go best friend, or something like that. Like, oh, I didn't, well, not you I go didn't best friend. Well, yeah. <laughs> something I, I remember, remember that. that. He was there, but I thought he was like all in his Yamaha kit and everyone was like, oh, he's still at Yamaha. Like, what's going on? Yeah, because like for the whole season, like people were like talking so much, or at least my commentators, they were like, he's going to Aprilia for sure. Yeah. Like, that's just going to happen. And then I almost feel like Aprilia announced it at the time to be kind of like at Yamaha, like, well, if you don't want him, we do. And then probably that might have affected Yamaha's decision to not continue him for the rest of the season and suspend him for Silverstone and be like, well, you're not riding at all then. Yeah. Well, that's another topic that I seriously think we could talk about forever. But a big part of this season, and I mean, we've talked about it for ages already, but a big part of it is Yamaha and their struggles. But okay, yeah, the bike wasn't great. Okay, yeah, we had the Maverick Vinales drama. But then after Maverick left and was suspended, they didn't have a rider because they promoted Franco Morbidelli, which was obviously the, the only option. It was the best option as well. Franco fully deserves that ride but he was like injured at the time because he'd hurt his knee earlier in the season so Maverick's gone you've promoted Frankie but 
he can't ride the bike Yamaha then fell into the problem of well what do we do now so obviously Cal Crutchlow who is Yamaha's um test rider got the call up but then down in Patronus there was a problem because still Frankie was was out he couldn't ride so then Patronus Yamaha also had to fill a seat and then we started seeing some questionable decisions as to who should come and ride for Patronus and yeah I mean we had Jake Dixon who is a Moto2 rider we had Garrett Gerloff who's a world superbike rider and we had the return of Andrea Davizioso. So what do you guys make of Patronus's decisions for some of their standing riders? Because some of them were a bit questionable to me. I think they should have just chosen one rider for Yamaha, yep. the Monster <laughs> Energy team, and one for uh, the Patronus team and run with it. Because that... Uh, the entire changes, it just didn't make sense. None of the other riders had time to fully get comfortable into the seat, score points, try to salvage what's left of the Constructors' Championship, and that just wasn't feasible anymore. I think they had Garrett ride the bike first, but yeah. obviously because he's in World Superbike, a lot of the calendar clashed with the MotoGP calendar, so he can do the next race. So then they got Jake in, but then obviously because he's in Moto2, they had to fill the Moto2 seat. So I think they gave it to John McPhee. And then they had to fill the Moto3 seat. So it was kind of like, who do we get where we don't have to fill a seat in? So then they brought Dovi in, but he was meant to have a contract with Aprilia. But did Maverick take that or like what happened? Because I thought he was going to be riding the bike in 2022 with Aprilia. Yeah. This is a big one for me because obviously Andrea Davizioso was and is, shouldn't talk about him that way, one of the greatest MotoGP riders that there's been. Like he's always been there ever since he came into the, the championship. And he had some stunning battles with Marc Marquez when he was on the Ducati bike. So he didn't have a seat after the 2020 season and he signed to be Aprilia's test rider. And everyone was like, oh, he'll get the Aprilia seat. Like, pretty easy and everyone sort of thought yeah 2022 was going to be his return to MotoGP and then as soon as sort of the seat came up at Patronus all of a sudden everyone was linking Dovi to it and I was like that's so silly why would they like why would Yamaha sign Davizio so it doesn't make any sense to me when he's got a contract with Aprilia so yeah I, I actually do think that Maverick Brunelles took Andrea Davizioso's 2022 Aprilia seat that's my hot take. <laughs> yeah, um, I think Dovi almost falls into the same category as like Danny Pedrosa, for example. Yeah. Like one of those really talented riders that just never got the chance to win a championship in the like MotoGP class. And yeah, it was like a whole, I would just call it a mess, the situation yeah. <laughs> that went on at Yamaha. I was like, first, like, was first like- Maverick and then everything else. And I'm just again like sitting there a bit confused but I think what must have played a big part into even like Dovi's Aprilia contract was um the Salvadori's crash in was it the Styrian GP or the Austrian GP yes yeah yeah the Styrian GP because he had to first sit out and then they just like 
I feel really bad for him because I think he wasn't even injured at one point anymore. And then Aprilia was just like, well, we're going to give the seat to Maverick anyways. And then he did like a few wildcard appearances and it was just, again, very confusing. This whole Yamaha thing caused such a domino effect on the entire grid. And it even went down to like Moto2, as we already said, uh, where they had to fill up like seats. Um, and in general, it was just so confusing because people were being swapped left and right. And then Savadori was supposed to ride, but then he wasn't riding. And it was such a mess. Definitely. And I mean, we've talked about Dovi, who has got the seat and he's got the seat until the end of the 2022 season. But we did sort of brush over Garrett Gerloff and Jake Dixon. I mean, yes. Garrett Gerloff was brought in I thought it was a fantastic choice but like Carly said he is obviously in World Superbikes and there's a lot of calendar clashes so in my head it was sort of like well why did they bring him in in the first place if it wasn't going to be a permanent change or you know a, a solution basically to the problem and then as mentioned again they brought Jake Dixon in from Moto2 again I thought that was also a great choice I think he's a really good rider but it wasn't a permanent solution to their problem. You know, they didn't sign Jake for 2022. They didn't sign Garrett for 2022. It just made the whole thing a a shambles and it didn't give either rider an ample opportunity to prove themselves to be a MotoGP rider. Yeah, so I think they brought a lot of riders in because obviously they knew Valentino was leaving. So I think they wanted to test as many people as they could on the bike to see who would work the best. So, because there was a lot of speculation about Garrett moving to a MotoGP at the start of the season, but then he had, he didn't do amazing in World Superbike. So I think the that's when they went on to Jake. And I think a lot of people thought Jake would get this the ride. But then, obviously, in the end, we found out Darren Binder was going to get the ride, which is kind of strange thing is he didn't test it in race conditions I think he had a private test somewhere and they didn't really say much about it so did he do well or I think it's more of a contract thing and then if he can if he's doing well on the bike yeah and the I mean Toprak was also considered for it and he in he's in world superbike so the whole thing was just a mess to be honest and sick of talking about Yamaha right now so let's move on so I feel like we've talked about Yamaha for enough time now I think the next biggest story of 2021 had to be the return of Mark Marquez now this guy is gonna be a legend you know he's gonna get goat status within the MotoGP histories and standings but in 2020 he suffered obviously what could have been a career-ending injury a career-ending crash but he came back in the 2021 season after missing the first two rounds he joined back up in Portimao and in typical Mark fashion he didn't make many friends again in the 2021 season what are your guys hot takes on Mark Marquez so for me, obviously, um, it must be difficult coming back from an injury like that. And then he was supposed to come back earlier and then he decided to open a window and didn't come back. Um, 
that happened. And then, like, obviously, Honda didn't really develop the bike maybe that much or that well during the time that he wasn't on it. So, in general, the Honda bike wasn't great for any of the four riders that it was. So, I think it, for him, it w- was a struggle because he's used to winning. And then coming off an, from an injury to a bike that's essentially, I would say, pretty much like two, like a year, two years behind on like development must have been hard. And I think that showed that when he kind of picked up riding again and adapted his style to his like injury, it started working for him on tracks that he's comfortable at. Like you saw him like King of the Ring, obviously he won at Sahin and then also like Kota and I don't remember that for God's sakes, I don't remember. Misano too? Yeah, Misano. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, obviously he picked it up then, but like, it was like also his injury and with the Honda bike being bad, it was just yet again, a mess. Yeah. And I think with the injury and coming back from injury, obviously he showed a different side to himself. Now I know I said, you know, he was typical Mark Marquez fashion, not making any friends this season, but we definitely seen another side to him because after his win at the Saxon ring, he cried. And I don't think in the years that Mark Marquez has been in MotoGP, I've ever seen emotion come from him and to see him just break down like that and to actually show emotion. And I mean, in the interview and everything after the race, he just, he couldn't stop crying. And I think for me personally, it it definitely showed me another side to him and I have definitely warmed to him more as a rider this year because I think as people watching the sport, we like to see that different side to riders and I think it opened and showed us his struggles like I know said I know he's been struggling with this injury and yeah it definitely brought out a different side to him that I don't think many of us have really seen before which was very interesting as well yeah and I think also with the like showing emotion I listened to one of the like the MotoGP official podcast and they did an episode with um, Aki Ayo, who obviously was his team boss. I don't remember which year, but when he was, I think it was still called the uh, 125cc class and yeah. not Moto3. But um, like uh, he said that with Mark, it's always been like hard to show emotion and like be vulnerable. So for, especially because I listened to that before like the Sahendring uh, happened. So then knowing that and watching him like win it, and like show that emotion like I think it also showed the magnitude of the situation for him because he finally like let go and showed like how emotional it was and how hard it must have been for him um I think it makes it even sadder um to see like how hard it was on him um to not win anymore and I mean, he was relieved at the Saxon ring when he won that. And I mean, he is the king of the ring. I kind of expected him to win because he's absolutely amazing at that track. It's incredible. Um, But at the same time, he's injured again. Like now that is where I think it hits him really hard because it was already a struggle at the begin- beginning of the season and now this um, and having to come back from what is the English term, diplopia? Diplopia, yeah. Yeah. Um, for next season, I think it's 
very difficult to go through it like twice. Well, it's not the same thing, but having your career on the line twice in such a short amount of time. Well, yeah, I think with with the diplopia, he has suffered from this before. He had a bad crash, I think, around 2011, 2012. Um, He's been through this before. So in that sense, I'm hoping that this is something that he can maybe recover from and it won't, you know, take as much. But again, on the other side of things, it's it's just one thing after the other for Marquez. He, he hasn't really seemed to catch a break really in the last two years, which I can only imagine what that has taken on his, you know, mental, like how, how does he come through this? But a big part of it is crashing so much and he definitely crashed a lot in the 2021 season you know how has he managed to overcome that and how does he manage to keep overcoming these crashes I mean he definitely you know put himself out there a few times in the 2021 season just crashing into other people which is not good sportsmanship yeah definitely not and then even him like crashing on his own like the Austrian GP where um, he was fighting for the win that um, Brad Binder ended up winning with the slicks on the rain. And he rode like, okay with his like bike with the dra- like slick tires on the rain and then crashed battling for the w- victory on the like wet tires, which in a sense doesn't make any sense. Like how did we end up here but also like not always crashing into other people but also making like his own mistakes because like Pekka won the Aragon GP was his first victory and Mark was battling him for that and then because he made a mistake there again didn't crash but made a mistake he kind of like threw away that win as well so it's like crash after another and mistake after another and that must be hard on your like mental strength I have to say that a lot of people don't give Mark enough credit for the season that he's been delivered last year. If you look back at it, he came back from such a difficult injury. He sat out almost the entire 2020 season. Uh, I think Alberto Puig said that Mark rode the entire year with one and a half arm because he's still not on his physical fitness level than he was before. And he did crash a lot, which is uh, definitely a problem, especially if you're already injured. But at the same time, he showed that he had a lot of pace because when he crashed out, he was mostly in for a good result. And I think people often overlook that. Yeah, and he overall came seventh in the championship, which seeing as he didn't even race the first two two races yeah because he was still recovering from the injury it's just amazing because he he crashed out of some races he won three races and he still came seventh in the championship I think that just shows you how good he is as a rider and how good he is at like coming back from major setbacks. And I mean, this season definitely hasn't been easy on him, but the fact that he managed to win the tracks where he's most dominant at, um, as in like Sachsenring and Kota, absolutely incredible. Um, And then again, like 
he came in seventh. I didn't expect him to, but he did it. And that just shows how good he is, how incredibly good he is. It is really exceptional if you're looking at it, because he did not only miss the first two races, but he also missed the two last races because yeah. of his injuries. So to come to still come seventh is quite an achievement. And if I'm looking back at his wins, I think it's difficult to judge how Sachsenring and Kota, how his performance was this year compared to all the other years, because he is just so dominant on these circuits. But for me, the standout highlights of this of his season this year was his Misano win. Yeah. And um his battle against Paco in Aragon, because that was when Paco was on his upwards movement. Yeah. And he still managed to fight against arguably the best bike and one of the best riders of this season. And that's as an injured Mark. I just checked. Um, Mark had counting in all so the races that he missed due to an injury. He had overall like eight races that he like retired or didn't race due to an injury because of and he still came seventh and then looking at it every single race that he did didn't like retire in he scored points so I think that just shows the consistency that he also like has because like um it's impressive I think at least I just think he has such big controversy around him. Obviously, he's been in the MotoGP paddock for so long. There's been some crazy battles between him and other riders, but you just can't deny the guy's talent and the guy's determination. Like, obviously, you don't wish bad on anyone, but to be able to come back from something like that, I think has just showed how great of a rider he really, he really is. And you know that, He's giving 100% every single weekend. And I think that speaks the loudest that no matter what the situation is, you know he's giving 100% at all times. And he wants to come back and win world champions, world championships. And you never know with Marc Marquez, he could do it. That's what, like, I 100% agree with the, he always gives it his 100% because that man tests the limits every single race yeah i don't think i've ever seen a race where he just went like well not slower but like less aggressive um he is always testing the limits giving it his best and i remember as like when i was younger um he was always the rider i would look at and be like that man is insane like this the moves he pulls sometimes absolutely incredible but that's why he is still or why he still finished seventh last year or last season um because of his willingness to fight and to come back from injuries yeah he definitely has made some not really stupid moves but controversial moves like the move in at Silverstone with Jorge Martin on the first lap he literally crashed him out in the first lap so even though he may be doing amazing last year coming back from all like the injuries and stuff he does still have some controversy around him 
And speaking of Jorge Martin, I feel like that's another person that needs a very, very honourable mention. Talking about coming back from injury. Now, he started the season as a rookie sensation. I mean, he was riding the wheels off that Pramac bike. But when we got to Portimao, he suffered the worst crash I've ever seen in MotoGP racing. Like, he was flung off that bike. It was so bad wasn't it? And he injured himself really horribly. I can't even remember how many bones he broke. He broke like his wrist. His I think ankle. it was three. Oh, eight. Oh, and then eight. Like, <laughs> three, yeah. Three surgery, three different surgeries. Yeah. Like, it was a lot. Sort of and when we talk about people being able to come back from stuff like that, I think Jorge Martin needs a mention because he managed to come back from that. I mean, I think he sat out four races and was back again. And then by the end of the season, he was winning races. So, yeah, he's up there for me. Yeah, yeah, he's up there for me with the probably best riders this season because I don't think we expected that much from him going into his rookie year in MotoGP, Mm -hmm. um, being on the Pramac bike. um, Just overall, I didn't have very high expectations for him, but especially after the crash. I was like, this is bad, like really bad. And he's probably not going to come back and win it or become rookie of the year. But look at what he did. He came back and got himself the rookie of the year award um, after a crash that was so insane. And once again, I mean, we're always talking about mental strength. Um, This must have taken a toll on him like his first season in MotoGP and he suffers that crash um and he still managed to get back on the bike and then I was so so happy for for him when he won um the Red Bull ring oh my god I I was so happy I was screaming he deserved that one um with like I mean, without taking the shine off it, if we're talking about rookies, we have to talk about Enea Bastianini because, yeah, wow, that guy was on a bike that is two years old. And, I mean, after the second half of the season, definitely, he, he just came into his own. I mean, he was fighting for rookie of the year as well. But to to be on a bike that's two years old and then put performances in like he did I mean he ended up on the podium twice was it like how did he do it and when you compare it to his teammate Luca Marini who was also a rookie this year you know performance like mental strength everything we've talked about already I think Inea Bastianini needs to have a very very honorable mention this season what do you guys think about Inea because Mm -hmm. I just think he is unbelievable yeah, I think that two podium finishes obviously were incredible. It was like, I remember looking at those races and I was like, what has this kid eaten for breakfast? Because yeah. like, he's just flying. <laughs> and out of the 18 race, races, um, he didn't uh, finish three of them, had three retirements and one non-points finish. So I think that's a very re- remarkable when you look at it like finish 14 races on in points and then two out of those on the podium and actually getting I think both of those were wait yeah both of those were p3s and then Mm -hmm. for the other race he even got the fastest up for so just phenomenal I think 
Yeah, and he, he scored more points than Poles Bagaro um, and just four points less than Maverick Vinales. Wow. wow. Which, on a two-year-old bike, that's something. I mean, especially if you're looking at his win at the Emilia Romagna uh, JP, where he fin he started uh, in P16 and he ended up on the podium, which at that weekend there were treacherous conditions on track. I mean, in all classes, so many raid, uh, riders got caught out from the conditions on track to manage this and overtake Fabio on the finishing line. That was, was just a- incredible. <laughs> It was a bold, bold move because I have a video of it on my phone because, I mean, I was there with Alec and he made that move on the guy that was about to become the championship winner. And how he managed to do that on the last, I think it was the second last corner, he was like, no, I'm overtaking Fabio Quattarao. I'm going to be on the podium at my home race. Like, the confidence that it takes to do that. Incredible. I remember my dad and I in the living room and I was like is he going is he going to overtake yeah. Fabio is he going to do that and my dad was like it looks like it is he really going to do that and he did it and oh my god oh my god I love that honestly such a story and I think moving forward Enea is gonna be an incredible rider yes. just very good yeah definitely and like you said, like the moment, like watching it, obviously we all weren't unfortunately there <laughs> to watch it. But um, I just remember I sat there and I was like, I didn't know who I was rooting for. I was just like screaming and yelling. I was like, it was like amazing. And even if you wanted Fabio to win- finish on the podium and win the championship and everything, it was still like, you cannot deny that that move that he made wasn't good. Yeah. Because I think even yeah. if you had been rooting for Fabio, or I think you can actually apply that to the whole season. Like, no matter who you were rooting for, this season or the last season it is now had so many incredible stories. It was just awesome for the sport. Like, there was so much going on, and we had so many good fights, so many good races, especially with Pekov and Fabio. And then to have rookies like Jorge Martin and Enea Bastianini um, basically fighting for the Rookie of the Year award is just so good for the sport. It made it so much more interesting. And yeah. So I feel as though we have talked about some of the best riders of the 2021 season. I think we should take a mention of some of the riders that disappointed as such and I think the biggest disappointment of the 2021 season had to be KTM now they did take wins because Brad Binder and Miguel Oliveira both won races but in general I just think it was a disappointing season for them as a whole yeah like especially after the summer break Miguel Oliveira's results just went completely downhill like I think he crashed out of some races he didn't score points on most of them whereas in the first half of the season he he won races he was pretty up there and then just went all downhill from there 
It really was KTM's struggle season, if you're looking back at it. The only one who could escape the curse a bit was Binder. Mm. But Miguel really, so Miguel really had a very up and down season. Let's say it like that. He started not very good. Then he had his very high high with his three podiums in a row and like that one win. Uh, but then it went really downhill. If you're looking at it, he scored uh, 40, no, uh, 94 points in the championship standings. But And with his three podiums, that would make, in these three races, he made 65 points, which means that he only made 29 points in the 15 other races. These are not stats that are for someone who is riding a factory bike i think a big one as well we sort of brushed over brad bender who arguably yes was performing the best out of ktm he also had a pretty shocking season ktm's qualifying throughout the tech three team and the factory team was just non-existent i mean i remember talking about races last season that they were starting like 16th 17th 19th even in last place for some of the races I just don't understand how on Saturday it goes so wrong for them and that is including Iker Lacuna and Danielo Petrucci who I rate as really good riders but was it the bike then that was the problem um, I think it was really interesting to see not in a good way, mm. but like in some races, like the Tech 3 bikes finished above the actual factory bike. When you look at, for example, Portugal, which uh, obviously it even was a home race for Miguel. And he finished outside of the points 16th. And then both Iker and Danilo finished 15th and 13th, which is in the points. And they're riding the satellite bike. It's a bit like how did we end up here? Like, it's a bit embarrassing, if we are being honest. I mean, you still have to give uh, Brad Binder at least a little bit of credit because he scored 151 yes. points, finished sixth in the standing right before um, Marc Marquez. Um, but then again, like, Oliveira really had a tough season. And then another thing, we already talked, like, about the tech, um, Iker Lecona being like dropped at the end of the season was kind of surprising as well awful absolutely awful the guy was just not given a chance at all he's literally only prove. 21 as well <gasps> he's younger than Fabio yeah crazy I mean going back to Brad and Miguel Brad was very consistent this season, but his only podium was in Austria, which was a spectacular performance. It was a gamble. I have, lucky. I have to give him credit credit for it, but at the same same time, it was a one off race. If you're looking at Miguel's performance, his three podiums that he had, these were actually race conditions that are more normal for a season. So. I see a bit more potential in Miguel having a better season next year than Brad. 
That's very, very be... interesting because Brad Bender has the long contract. He signs till 2024, something along those lines, which I thought was a bit mad, to be honest, because we've said it so many times, neither of them had the best season. Neither of them had the best 2020 season. So I just think, I think it's a bit of a gamble anyway to sign someone for that length of time when to be honest to the public eye at least it doesn't seem like they're putting the performances in 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 my mind I mean especially if you're looking at their performance this year it might they were they probably were able to perform this year and get away with still having a factory seat but if you're looking at the next riders who are up and coming like Remy, Raul, Pedro for KTM, Miguel and Brad need to up their performance because they will not keep the seat if these guys come to the MotoGP class and just overperform on the Tech 3 bikes. Yeah, for sure. Like if you maybe look at um, Raul Fernandez, who is said to have a very MotoGP riding style already, um, he could become a problem for Miguel and Brad really quick. Definitely. And I think two riders that are also in trouble, in my mind, are the two Suzuki riders. Now, I'm talking about 2020 for world sure. champion Johan Mir and, of course, his teammate Alex Rins. If we're talking about bad seasons, surely these two have to be top of the list. Like, what was going on in Suzuki this year? Alex Rins, to me, was definitely one of the most disappointing riders and he had some stupid, stupid mistakes this season. Does anyone remember when he broke his arm cycling? Yes. Like, yeah. like a bicycle as yeah. well. Not even, not even a, a motorbike or anything. Exactly. Wasn't, he, wasn't the story that he was texting on his, on phone. his phone whilst doing a track cycle and yes. then something to do with uh, like truck? Yeah, adorna man. Yeah, because he was basically texting whilst cycling. Crazy. I was so worried about it because when I read about the crash, I just heard that he broke his arm and he had an accident with a truck. So I immediately thought he was either in a car crash or the truck was moving. And when I found out that the truck was just stationary and he crashed into it that's one of the weirdest injuries that's that we've seen this season but i mean he just describes this season yeah, that's yeah. Like, this year like literally he either does well or crashes or because he's had some weird races with silverstone he came second yeah. but then some races he just crashes uh, i was very surprised because in some races, Rins actually looked stronger than Mir, but he just couldn't make it stick. He fell off at the end of the race, which I don't know if it's if it's like related to tire management, but he just can't translate anything into a good result. And that's something that's really worrying. I think in 2020, you could sort of overlook it as such I feel like he had a very similar season then you know he could have been fighting for the championship in 2020 come into 2021 you sort of I expected him actually to be fighting for the championship I expected him actually to win the championship when we came into the season because 
I know he can be strong, but with stupid crashes, like falling off his bicycle and breaking his arm, stupid crashes, you know, during races like Carly mentioned, it, I am just starting to wonder where his place is at Suzuki if performances like this continue because I think there are better up-and-coming riders that would put in better performances and obviously Suzuki are going to want to have a championship rider on their bike like they have Johan Mir he's won a title they're gonna want people to now do that and win championships they are a championship winning bike I don't see how either of them really fit in the team anymore especially seeing as they only they don't have any um independent teams they only have one team so they need the next generation to take over so there is some riders that we have not yet mentioned and we couldn't forget about them. So number one has to be Alicia Espagaro and his performance with Aprilia this season. Now Aprilia has been known as the underdogs in the MotoGP class but Alicia Espagaro has taken them a step up this year and he even got their first podium in the MotoGP era. So hats off to Alicia Espagaro. I hope that he continues to develop Aprilia this way. Next up, we have Jack Miller, who of course is Peko Bangaya's teammate and definitely gets overlooked a lot considering his teammate was fighting for the championship. But Jack still had an incredible performance, taking two wins back to back. He still had a really, really good season. He was also the best teammate that anyone could ask for. And he really helped Peko out this season, which, I mean, it has to be mentioned. Then we have Johan Zarco with Pramac Ducati. Now, Zarco was fighting for the championship at the start of the season, but then he just went downhill. And I mean, really downhill. He had such an up and down season with Pramac, and it was a really, really weird one. But hopefully, next season, we will see a bit more consistency from him. Of course, there's also the LCR Honda team with Alex Marquez and Takanakagami. Both really seemingly struggling this year I'm not really sure why Elsie or Honda didn't really give us much information neither riders really give us much information but for their sake I hope that this season is much much better for them that also brings in Paul Espagro who is Mark Marquez's teammate and the Repsol Honda team were also struggling this year and Paul Espagro was definitely struggling now he still did manage to get a podium in Misano but it was often overlooked by other events that happened that day you know Fabio won the championship his teammate won the race just a bit underwhelming for Paul Espargaro and again I hope he does much better next season now we couldn't finish talking about MotoGP without mentioning the elephant in the room and that is of course Valentino Rossi retired from MotoGP at the end of the 2021 season. He's been in that class or in the, you know, MotoGP as it is for 26 years. That's longer than any of us have been alive. Yeah. I mean, we kind of saw it coming. Yeah. I mean, everyone did, but I mean, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that he's not going to be lining up on the grid this season, but what are your guys' take on the fact that he's gone now? I definitely, like you pointed out, he's been racing 
in the essentially the same paddock for 26 years now and i think it's just like the statistics and the ice prove it and rossi is a one of a kind racer and i think everyone will miss him at the track and at the paddock because we've had this uh talks about this before but like he brought the paddock in essence to like alive he Mm -hmm. was such a character not only on track but also off track and I think saying that he'll have a significant legacy in MotoGP is definitely an underestimate for the impact that he's had on the whole sport and I think it's just amazing to look at what he's left behind which is obviously the VR46 Academy but also like how for example Fabio who isn't a part of the academy still is like views Valet as his hero Mm. and I think that just proves that he's touched so many hearts throughout the years he's uh, a guy that's so easily to love because he has such a great personality and as I know already said he brought so much joy to the paddock like I barely remember um or like a lot of the celebrations, but looking back at them, they really were highlight. And what this man has done for the sport is absolutely incredible. Like people who don't know a lot about MotoGP, who don't watch it on the regular, there's still a chance that they know who Valentino Rossi is. And this man kind of is bigger than his sport because like so many people know him and It's truly sad to see him go. I mean, it was probably time and everyone saw it coming that someday he has to retire. And it still hit hard that this was going to be his last season. Like we knew it was happening. Um, But I'm so glad that this sport had someone like him and he'll forever be remembered. Like there's no way to erase Valentino Rossi from MotoGP. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Jules. And I think you said it really well. Like, he is bigger than MotoGP. And I think that speaks volumes. Now, Anik and myself, I did mention earlier, have been to a race. And it just so happened to be his last home race. And, like, I knew he was popular. And I knew that everyone loved him. But see, actually sitting in the stands, surrounded by a sea of yellow and everyone in 46 tops and caps and air horns and flags like it really brings it home and it really hit home for me how big it is and I I almost can't put it into words how much of an impact he has left on people and how big he is and especially for me who doesn't even ride motorbikes or race in MotoGP the impact that he's made on my life is you know only a fraction of what he's made on actual riders lives and yeah it's definitely going to be a big big loss and I just think it's amazing to in a way see that like a lot of the people especially the younger guys now riding on the grid um they've like imagining it like they've had like the posters of Vale on their walls as kids like wishing they could be him and now most of them like have raced him obviously we have a few rookies coming in next season but like they've raced him and they got to experience that and I just think it's 
so wonderful to see that he left an impact, but he never seemed like, or uh, Jules mentioned earlier when we were talking about Fabio, how um, he mentioned his like arm struggles with and like possible arm pump with Vale and Fabio isn't even in Vale's academy and he still seemed so caring. And I think that's just like absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I think he was or is, well, now was such a calming presence on the grid and he had the most experience. And I think it's just good to know that as a young rider, you can, he looked very approachable, like the entire time. I think no matter who it was, he would have probably talked to them and giving, given them adv- advice. Um, so what an absolute legend. He was my favorite rider growing up. Um, so it's kind of hard to see him go, but I'm glad I was there to witness at least a part of his career. Yeah, we are going to be the people who can say that we watched it happen which is pretty crazy to think like we were there we witnessed that I think that is something very very special that we share with lots of people around the world but now that he's gone from the paddock this means that more seats are opening up to other riders and especially riders coming up from like Moto2 so do we want to talk about Moto2 now? Of course. So I think it goes without saying. Remy Gardner was crowned the 2021 Moto2 World Champion. And I mean, I didn't see it going any other way. I always thought Remy was going to take the championship, but he had some strong contention from none other than his teammate, Raul Fernandez. What do you guys think about the tension that was in that KTM team? Because it was very apparent that there was, it was rough in there, definitely. I think that at times it was probably pretty hard for them uh, to deal with that and to deal with your teammate being your biggest rival um, in the championship fight. Um, But then again, I heard like on the German stream, they said something about how Remy and Raul tried to not let the tension get to them. So they apparently always had breakfast together on a race morning, like on a Sunday. And I thought that that was pretty cool, actually. Maybe it saved them a bit. Um, But yeah, what are your your guys' thoughts about that? I know. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think it's must be somewhat hard on the team as well, trying to like keep not only the riders, but also the mechanics and the people working for them, because obviously they root for their like own rider in a sense to keep everything like calm and composed when you have, I guess it's a positive issue to have both riders, both of your riders fighting for a championship, but like, it's not easy. And uh, kind of what Jules said also um, on the Finnish stream, uh, there is, they kind of changed the commentators, but um, one of them actually works for KTM IO. And he also mentioned that 
usually when they travel or they go to eat at a restaurant with the team and such like Remy and Raul they would always like um pick each other up and drive there and like stuff like that so I think they were good friends at least at one point of course the uh, Raul's comments after the championships might have affected that negatively of course I hope not because at the end of the day racing is racing and I hope they can like separate the racing world from their personal lives but yeah I think that what are your guys' thoughts on the moral champion comments from Raul? I was just about to say that we couldn't go without mentioning the fact that I mean we thought okay yeah Remy's won it everyone's happy enough what was it a week after the championship ended Raul comes out and is like "Mm, I was the moral champion of of the class I should have won it my team didn't support me and he sort of came out with these bratty comments almost about how he was he should have won and that KTM basically hindered him which was a bit strange I understand his frustration. It must be hard to, even after you win the last race, you're still losing the championship. And I have to give him the benefit of the doubt because I feel like his comments might have been taken a bit out of context. And at the same time, he has a big problem with, like not a big problem, but he his mother language is not English. He has this language barrier. And at the same time, I think comments like these, it's more of a media training issue where they should have like held him back a bit. I kind of agree on that. I mean, I always, like the whole season, I wanted Remy to win. He was my favorite in the battle between those two. But nevertheless, I really liked Raul and his performance. Like, he's an amazing rider. Um, And with the comments, at first I was kind of disappointed in him. But then again, I understand the frustration that must have come with, like, losing the championship. And maybe it was in the heat of the moment. And as Anig already said, maybe it was just an issue of media training where he was frustrated and let it out publicly when he probably shouldn't have. Um, I'm going to give him a chance. Like, I don't think that he's a bad person. It was just a little bit of a weird comment to make, but it happened and like, he can't undo it. But I think his actions next season, when he's with Remy again on the same team, will probably prove... um, or tell us what kind of character he is. That's what I was just about to say. Hopefully this doesn't hinder next season because obviously both Remy and Royal are moving up into MotoGP to the Tech 3 KTM team. So you just hope that comments like this haven't affected how they work together because I could really see both of them doing really well in MotoGP and the last thing that either of them need coming into their rookie season is tension in the garage, which I think is hopefully not going to be the case. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of willing to see past his comments. Um, like, obviously, like Annick said, it's probably a question of media training at the end of the day because, like, these guys have a lot of adrenaline going through their body, especially after a race and such. But at the same time, 
I think blaming the team should be your last resort. Like you, like they still gave him a fair chance at the championship. He came second, was very close to winning it. I don't think it was fair of him to say that still, especially because it looks bad on the team. And now looking through like the years with uh, KTM Ayo, they seem like one of the most supportive teams and like most fair teams that are out there. So I don't really understand that. And what left me thinking is that Adrian, um, Raul's little brother, was signed for Moto3 for KTM Ayo. And then KTM rearranged their riders. So um, Adrian went to Tech3, which is another KTM team. And all I can think of is that did his comments somehow affect that, which I would hope not because like especially during last season KTM Ayo was the stronger bike and for Adrian to lose that opportunity because of Raul's comments just makes me kind of like sad and maybe disappointed as well yeah so hopefully well fingers crossed that any tension that might be in the KTM garage disappears before the start of the 2022 season. But I think we need to give some honourable mentions to those who came third and fourth in the championship, Marco Bezzecchi and Sam Lowe's. Now, Marco Bezzecchi is away off to MotoGP with the VR46 team, but I feel like he just... Not that he didn't show up to the 2021 championship, but he lost out on a big opportunity to win the 2021 championship. What are your guys' thoughts on Marco Bezzecchi's season? It was a bit of an underwhelming season for Bess. Looking at, he was, at the beginning, he was one of the title contenders. People were thinking that he would win the championship. And at the end of the day, uh, Raul and Remy were so dominant the entire season. They both got 12 podiums compared to Bess, which got only seven podiums only like oh, only, only seven, seven, only <laughs> seven only. but like I think there was more potential that wasn't really shown to us during the entire season yeah and I think with Sam Lowe's Carly you'll be with me on this one you know a British rider you want him to do well what happened to Sam Lowe's he he just in Portugal he had that huge crash and then ever since then basically since the start of the season really we had the two wins in Qatar the first and second races in Qatar and then when we got to Portugal he crashed out and kind of just went all downhill from there I guess he did try to bring back some momentum and get some podiums but didn't really get that far and he didn't really fight for the championship this year. Like, I think a lot of people thought he would. Yeah, I think overall it was just a bit disappointing from Sam. But hopefully this season he can start afresh. You know, he'll be fit. He'll be healthy. He doesn't have Raul and Remy and Marco Bezzecchi yeah. to contend with this season. So hopefully this could be the season where we see Sam Lowe's flourish. Okay, so we talked about your British rider. I would like to talk a bit about one of my all-time favorite riders, Aaron Canet, um, because he kind of hurt me this season. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was doing so well. And I don't know if you remember it that vividly as I do, but the race in Misano where he cr- like he didn't crash out, but he lost his position because his bike had like some kind of technical issue, I guess. Um, we don't know. Some said he ran out of fuel. Some said like the issue caused the fuel system to malfunction. In the end, I have no idea what it was, but my heart broke. He finished sixth in the standings, which isn't too bad. He kind of carried the Bosco Scuro constructors on his back. Um, like he wasn't bad, but I don't know. Anik, do you want to say anything about Aaron? I mean, seeing this whole thing play out at the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix was very difficult because Lorna and I were there. The commentary that you heard over the bike noises was in Italian and none of us Mm. spoke Italian. So it was really difficult to judge the situation right on spot there. But when we looked back at it, he showed a lot of pace and I think that's a bit how you could describe his entire season he showed a lot of pace in many races but at the end it didn't it was never enough for a win and that's yeah. a bit sad to see he got quite like i remember he got a podium in portugal he got a podium in austria i don't know if it was the syrian or the austrian grand prix because i always get them mixed up um and was it Sachsenring? Yeah, he placed yes. second in Sachsenring as well. And I'm like I'm proud of what he did. He he had a quite a good season, but in the end, I think he can do better. Like the potential is there. He's good and he's very determined. Determined? Is that a word? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> determined. <laughs> um so yeah, I'm curious to see what he's going to do next season i wouldn't be surprised if he was in the title contention for next year because if you're looking if you're looking at it with raul remy dija and best gone yeah but you have acosta coming in yeah and you have the same time he pedro only had one season in moto three which he is an incredible rider there's no denying in that but what he's missing right now is experience. And I think that's something what we saw also in Raul and Remy. Remy had the experience to, and he could translate that in more consistent results compared to Raul, who came in as a rookie. And yeah. Raul had an, an unbelievable season. But at the same time, even though it was only three DNFs, at the end of the day, those were the three crashes that cost him his championship i think okay talking about iron Kana, you did brush over fabio dg antonio he is also moving up to the moto gp class i completely forgot about that now did had a bit of a strange season he only won one race and that was in harass but he's still getting a ducati ride alongside anaya bastianini in the new grassini moto gp team so I think we have to mention him. His season to me was a bit mediocre, but he's getting a MotoGP seat. Someone has seen something in him. 
And I do think he is someone that you should keep an eye out for. I mean, we, we never know because Fabio, he hasn't won any yeah. major two championships or anything. And someone saw something in him and promoted him to MotoGP on the Patronus bike. And he outperformed that bike so much and then went on to win the championship with Yamaha. So you just never know, really. Exactly. It's not always the people who are out at front winning championships and winning races that we need to look out for. There are people who are in midfield or even at the back of the pack that have potential they just need that opportunity. So fingers crossed for Digi and hopefully this MotoGP move is right for him. Of course, there's also Fermin Aldeguer who came into the Moto G or to the Moto2 class. Sorry. Someone please explain to me why he was in Moto2 because he got put into Moto2 to replace someone, didn't he? Yeah, like at some point he just popped up on the grid and I didn't really pay attention to what was happening. Like I didn't check any social media or any news on Moto2 for quite some time. And then I saw Fermin Aldeguer on the list and I was like, who is that? Because I don't personally watch Moto E. So I was a bit confused and I was like, has he always been in Moto2? And then he wasn't. Um and apparently he replaced Yari Montella because Yari was out with injury, apparently. And then Fermin did better than Yari and they just replaced him with Fermin, which he's 16, by the way. What? He made his Moto2 debut. I think it was his debut, probably, um, at 16 years old. And like right before they... Oh, well, they said that they were going to enforce the age restrictions for the classes. So he now has a foot in. He's in. I mean, um, he also did um, the beginning of the season with Moto E, but I think something worth mentioning is that he is the current um, FIM CEV um, Moto2 champion of like 2021, which is basically the European Moto2 Championship. Um, And that truly does show that he has pace because he beat out some amazing riders for that title. But still, especially like Jules mentioned, um, it's a bit of a risk with the age restrictions coming in. But you see a lot of teams pushing in young riders so that it doesn't affect their performance when the age restrictions come into place. I think he'll be good to go though because I like I just checked um the standings and he came in 25th and I mean how many races did he even get in like he raced about eight. 10 I've oh, less than Yeah he he scored 13 points and he placed above Dalaporta and Bulega mm-hmm. Isn't Dalaporta on the same bike that won the championship in 2020 yeah the Atal chance as well bike. yeah and he's down in below Fermi 27 hardly who hasn't even raced all the races whereas Della Porter probably has that's I, just uh, insane honest to god also I'm so raced sorry, again. But I, for- I forgot about Della Porter <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot about him he's just so literally him and Drew Roberts him. him and Drew Roberts are the Atal chance team and last but not 
least, we have the Moto3 Championship. Of course, rookie sensation Pedro Acosta took this championship by storm and winning it in his rookie year. Pedro Acosta is the next big thing in my eyes. And he started this season how he meant to go on. He was second in his first ever Moto3 race. He won his second Moto3 race from pit lane. He got a penalty during qualifying because all the Moto3 riders like to mess around during qualifying. So he had to start from pit lane because of stupid riding basically on Saturday. But he flew up the grid and won. What are your guys' opinions on Pedro Acosta and his unbelievable season? I think from the first race on, you could just see that Pedro is a generational talent. He's not comparable to any other riders. To do that in a world championship riding class on your first and second race, that's just incredible. And I think we will see a lot more from Pedro. I mean, he placed second in his first ever race and then he got first three times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just mental. Um, he he has it. He, I mean, everyone calls him baby shark right now. He's going to be the next big shark. Like, <laughs> once that guy moves to MotoGP, oh boy, watch out because he he kind of has it all he has the talent he kind of has the mindset for it he went into this like category he's never raced in and he had the mentality the mentality to win he wasn't afraid of anything um yeah i mean it probably helped that he was with kdm because the team is awesome um so I don't know what to say other than absolutely outstanding season by them. I think, yes, you're mentioning KTM, of course. I mean, they have produced some of the greats like Marc Marquez, Miguel Oliver. Like, there's just a feeder series up basically through KTM of some fantastic riders. But you did also mention his mentality. And I know we've talked about this with so many other riders, but Pedro Acosta has it. He was 16 when this season started, turning He's 17. so young. Yeah, turning 17 in May of this season. And he just had such a grown-up head on his shoulders. He never let the pressure get to him, no matter how much. You know, there was people in talking about, oh, he's the next big thing. Oh, he's this, he's that. He, every Sunday, he went out and he proved to people and he shut people up, basically, and was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm making my mark. I am Pedro Acosta and you will see me win. And for 17 years old, I have never, the world has never, ever seen a rider like this. He is something so special. And I think something to also pay attention to is the fact that out of what 18 races we had this season, he retired in two of them and in every race he didn't retire, he finished in the points and his yeah. lowest finish was 11th, which is very remarkable. And that also shows his like consistency to get points. And I mean, the only like you could call it an issue, not really even you could have with Pedro is that he isn't that strong in qualifying. But 
at the end of the day, like the points are like given out on Sunday, and he ended up getting like his pole, pole position um, in Valencia, the last GP of the year. And I think that was because he had won the championship by that point. That was just for him to kind of prove to everyone who was talking about like, oh, he cannot produce a pole up this and that. I think that was also from him a uh, subtle like, look at me, I can do it. Yeah. Um, moment. Like even if he didn't deliver like his best performance on Saturdays, he always brought his A game on Sundays. And I mean, that's where you win Definitely. the races. So, but the fact that he didn't do that well on Saturdays and still managed to have like the headspace to go into the Sunday and be like, I can win this. Like I'm not on pole. I can win this. And he did. He, I, I don't know how to put it into words, but this guy is remarkable. And if we are already on the topic of that, he overshadowed his teammate who was set out to be the number one rider for their team. And I really like Raume Masia, but he did, he did perform pretty well the entire season, but he couldn't compete with what Pedro did. Like, once again... I don't know how to describe it, but he just stood in the shadows of Pedro Acosta, who delivered the most amazing season ever. And it must be a bit hard on Jaume going from being the first rider for the team, like being the one the hopes are on, um, to going to like a supportive role. But it is what it is. Hopefully he can shake it off for next season. Um I think that's oh, a big yeah. thing that we're talking about with riders' headspace and their mentality. I think we talked about it a bit with Maverick Vinales earlier, obviously with teammates, you know, fighting against each other. And a big one was definitely Pedro and Jamie Messia because I just think Jamie almost crumbles under the pressure yeah. of having a teammate so good, so consistent, and just breaking onto the scene as well, like you said, Jules. Jaume was meant to be the number one rider in KTM, but I don't think anyone could have predicted that Pedro would have been so good. But then I think the big thing was Jaume's reaction to it, and it wasn't the best reaction to it. And I feel like, yes, he did crumble under the pressure of having a teammate so good. And I think he threw away a lot of opportunities throughout the season in races where he probably could have won if he hadn't have been stupid because of these pressures really quick and yeah. especially because um Jaume is what like five years older than Pedro yeah he has a lot Just more there. experience and Pedro came in as a rookie like I know I'm sorry I interrupted you yeah. no worries um I think that definitely showed and but Jaume has also been very open about just like in general like that mental struggle and you don't see that often with riders like in the world of motorsport like mental health and uh, mental, mental strength especially the issues in them are often like sweeped under the mat and they're not talked about and I think that is like very brave of him and he apparently when he was making his deal with um ktm he was very open about the fact that the thing that affects him most it's not the track or the condition or the bike it's that he needs that supportive atmosphere and that like in a sense nurtures him 
to do better. And I think probably the workers didn't even expect Pedro to do as well as he did. But I think think it definitely took a toll on Homer and his performance. And kind of almost comparing, might be a bit dramatic comparison, but also comparing it to um, like Yamaha's situation at the start of the MotoGP season with Maverick not really supporting um, Fabio because during the last few races when uh, Denis Foggia which is someone else we need to definitely talk about because he had an amazing end of the season. His teammate, uh, Javier Artigas, was a really good wingman and just like supported Dennis and tried to keep Pedro behind him, et cetera, et cetera. And you didn't really see that from Homer at any point of the season. Like it was very much like you're on your own. Like if you want to win this, you're not going to get any help from me. Definitely, you could see, especially in the race um, when Pedro did win the championship, you could see from from Jaume, he went out to the lead of the race and I was like, oh, wow, he's really helping Pedro out. And then he made a move that nearly made Pedro fall off. And I was like, what are you doing? That is your teammate. Like, there were so many moments in that race that I was like, oh, wow, he's being such a good team player. It's something we haven't seen from, from Jaume this season. I was so, so wrong. He was out for himself in that race. And I think he actually fell off in that race or he dropped back positions. But like I had mentioned before, there were so many opportunities then that he missed because he was out to get Pedro. You know, he was out to beat Pedro rather than if they'd probably helped each other out. Things could have been a lot different, I think for for yeah and mentioning that like in essence if they would have worked together could have it been that they would have been one like p1 and p2 in the standings that would have led both of them being promoted to moto 2 for the same team obviously it would have been bad news for augusto fernandez but like um now you see home being in a sense stuck still in Moto3, where he has the potential to be in Moto2, but he has to like get his mind set straight on what's important and how he can get those points. I For think sure. he might have a good shot next season yeah. if he learned from this season. I mean, we have Dani Holgado coming into the team. He's how old? 15 or 16? Like, very young guy again. Um I'm curious to see, first of all, how Dani does on the bike in general in the class. Um, if he pulls another, like, Acosta-like season, um, if he doesn't, and that's probably going to affect the way Jaume does in the upcoming season. I think it's very much dependent on whether Jaume is considered the number one rider of the team or if he drops back into like the shadows of the younger guy again. Um, so that's definitely going to be extremely interesting. And with Pedro moving up, one of his like biggest uh, competitors is gone from the class. So I'll definitely keep an eye out for Jaume Masia because I think he can still do great things. Yeah, I think what Pedro proved this season um, or the past season was that rookies can be very good. And it's been proved like 
also Raul Fernandez in Moto2. And then you look at Marc Marquez winning the MotoGP championship his rookie yeah. season. So rookies definitely can perform. And last year, I don't remember how um, Pedro did uh, in the FIM CEV Moto3 championship. Oh, he won it. He won it. Yeah. Did he? Because I, I think, think so. he won the... No, he didn't because Isan Guevara was the Moto3. Oh, he won the Red Bull rookies. Yeah. Did he win the rookies thing? Yeah, and Pedro yeah. won the Red Bull rookies championship. And now looking at Dani... Um, he came third in the Red Bull Rookies Cup and he is the current FIM CEV Moto3 European champion. So definitely, if he can produce the results that Pedro did, Helmut definitely doesn't have an easy season ahead of him. But I think rookies are a bit of a 50-50 toss-up. Like, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, rookie rookies are scary, I think, and especially Danny Hildago coming in, I think people need to watch out for him because I think he's going to be a lot stronger than what people imagine. And I know for a fact that Dennis Foggia is going to want to come out fighting after what happened last season because he chased Pedro down somehow and he almost won the championship until the race in Portimao and Darren Bender came out of nowhere and knocked Foggia off his bike. And no, that's not how you want to see a championship being decided. And I do still think that Pedro won have won it. But it wasn't fair for Dennis Foggia to lose out like that. Quickly pointing out that uh, Darren Binder didn't only knock out Dennis Foggia off of his bike, but also Sergio Garcia, who was fighting for a P3 in the championship. So bad move. <laughs> Yeah, and linking on to that, Dennis really pushed himself, I think, to try and get into the championship contention, seeing as Sergio Garcia was the main one fighting with Pedro, but then he crashed out and got injured, and then suddenly Foggia was there fighting for it, and then Darren crashed into him. Yeah, like, if you look at the numbers from, from like, Pedro had an overall good season, but he was stronger in the first half. Yeah. And then Dennis Fodger didn't have a good first half of the season. He had four, five, zero pointers, um, which isn't that good. And then he kind of pushed himself so hard and he had this amazing comeback story, started to fight for the championship, only to be crashed out by Darren Binder. And the scenes after the crash, I mean, I'm so glad no one was really injured. I'm sorry, they kind of cracked me up because Darren wanted to go to apologize and the Fodger's whole box was not having it. They were throwing him out and there was the, you could cut the air it was so tense Uh, I'm still honestly too stunned (laughs) to speak um I did I wanted Pedro to win but the way Dennis was like robbed of his like option to contend broke my heart like that's not how you want it to go and yeah he's probably gonna come back strong next season 
think for Dennis to have such a strong comeback in the second half of the season was incredible because he was not only fighting in a championship fight, but at one point he was fighting against a team with this entire situation where his dad wasn't allowed into the paddock yeah. anymore. And then when, I think it was in Silverstone, where he was in podium contention or at that point maybe even leading the race, but they put the statement online Yes. During the race, which was super confusing marketing strategy. I was very, very surprised by that. And it really surprised me that he decided to stay with Leopard Racing after all these issues that they had together. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really big talking point. We've We've heard stories in the past of especially fathers, figures, being very pressuring in the garage they want to put their two cents in basically you know but these people have teams around them you know they have race directors you know managers etc etc the last thing Dennis Foggia needed was another voice chirping in by the sounds of it and I think that's a big it, it reflects on his season because in the first half of the season when his dad was allowed in the garage he was putting in bad performances he says he's going to leave Leopard he says he's done with them. He finds the way that they treated his family unacceptable. And then all of a sudden, his dad's kicked out. And guess what? His performances skyrocketed. And that was the second half of the season then, when his dad wasn't allowed in the garage. And all of a sudden, he's in championship contention. It is a bit strange. And obviously, he's he's staying on with Leopard as well. So, you know, he he's going to have that momentum of the second half of the season. But bit of a weird one I think yeah I think that's one of the reasons why he's staying with Leopard because they can fight for the championship and they can fight against the KTM whereas not a lot of other teams can do that um I think we already touched on it but someone else we definitely do need to talk about is Sergio Garcia yes who was um, Acosta's main rival for the beginning of the season up until the Cotat race where he unfortunately crashed was it in practice and um, had an injury so. and wasn't allowed to race for was it two races I think so yeah um, which definitely set him back in the championship fight and even though I was rooting for Pedro it was such a shame to see because he obviously is a very talented rider with a lot of potential um, so it was really just a shame. Yeah, I think he'll be coming out this season with something to prove because we've mentioned it multiple times. A championship should never be decided with things like crashes and injuries. You know, you want all riders to be at 100%. So I think that will give Sergio Garcia the big spur on because this season very well could be his season. But of course, that leads us to his teammate. Izan Guevara, this guy had some <laughs> mad moves at Cota. Talking about his teammate Sergio being injured, Izan Guevara had like a toddler tantrum at Cota, and there's no other way to describe it. Really, it it was a bit strange, wasn't it? Obviously, the Cota race was filled with a lot of things happening, multiple red flags, etc. Um, and after the second red flag, Izan was leading the race and he thought he lost the race or I do not know what 
went on in his head. Um, and he stormed to his box up from his bike and started punching the air. He kicked his chair. Um, he had a proper meltdown to the floor. He was on his knees until he was informed that he actually did win the race. And he had to go up on the podium after that meltdown being filmed and aired on TV. showcased to the world. <laughs> I mean... I, I have to say I kind of get where he was coming from because um, the the race was red flagged twice, right? And he was leading and right before the second red flag, I think, his bike had a mechanical issue. It didn't work anymore. It wouldn't do anything. So, of course, he's going to be frustrated with his bike working properly for him to get like to the first place and then just dying and I mean I've never ridden a bike in a competitive setting but I would be frustrated as hell and of course he went into the box and you saw him like pushing the bike down he was like something is not working and they didn't know what it was so he went into the box and of course it's a bit childish and like bit of a hothead thing to do to throw such a tantrum and then well we didn't know what was going to happen like were they about to resume the race would they restart it no one knew what protocol was for a second red flag where you only rode like what three laps it was two or three or something like that so in his head he had lost it like he didn't know what was going on but then the rules applied to like essentially make him win the race, um, which of course, looking back, it looks a bit stupid, but I can, I can see because he didn't know. He thought he had crashed out of his first potential win and then he won it. Yeah, and overall, Izan had a pretty good season. He ended up finishing eighth um as a rookie and he was the second um highest rookie a second highest placing rookie obviously compared to Pedro Acosta's performance it was maybe a bit lackluster but I feel like anyone's performance compared to Pedro Acosta's season was a bit lackluster yeah. so <laughs> yeah. not the fairest comparison there overall he had three non-points finishes and one of those was a retirement and obviously that one win and but I think people were maybe expecting a bit more from him because as mentioned before he is or was the reigning FIM CEV Moto3 champion um, and obviously coming in as a champion you would expect riders to do well and not saying that he didn't do well but I people probably expected more from him especially in a sense, again, because Pedro proved, proved that rookies can do so well. I just hope that he can keep his temper under wraps this season because yeah. surely he's grown up a bit and learned from his mistakes. And he has a do lot of know, potential. Do you know who couldn't keep his te- or their temper? Jeremy Alcoba and John McPhee. Oh, I was oh. hoping someone would bring this up. <laughs> I just had to. I'm sorry, but that was another story that was absolutely. I, I was flabbergasted watching that, like them punching each other in the gravel. 
that was something. Uh, a build up because Jeremy had done things previously to John. Mm. Like I think he slightly crashed into him, maybe. So when John saw that it was Jeremy, he instantly thought, oh, you've just gone and crashed me out of the race. Great, thanks. And so obviously you would be frustrated. No, yeah, we're talking course, about Izan but... Guevara throwing a tantrum at, what, 16, 17 years of age. How old is John McPhee? 20-something? I think he's like 26 yeah. or 27. He's the oldest yeah. guy in the Moto3 paddock. And this guy thought, I'm just going to start hitting this other guy because he's taken me off my bike. This guy is too old to be throwing tantrums like that. I just think it was completely unacceptable. Yeah, he's 10 yeah. years older than Isan Guevara. Oh my god, He's goodness. 27. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I thought like looking at it, it feels almost staged. Like you yeah. would see that on a television yeah. show because like you're just looking at, oh, bikes went out. Oh, I hope they're okay. And all of a sudden they're fighting. I'm just, I just sat there like, hello, like, what <laughs> yeah. is going on? My dad, who has been watching motorcycle races for ages, was like, I've never seen that. What are no. they doing? Like, what, <laughs> what is happening? Uh, it, it was quite so bizarre. It was. Yeah. It was a movie, really. <laughs> Didn't feel real. And then maybe a bit more, I'd say if, it can be more controversial than people fighting each other in the gravel trap. Another crash that happened uh, was Dennis. Um, I do not know how to say his name. Yeah. Sorry for yeah. butchering that last name there. <laughs> um, his crash is Akota being suspended for two races. Mm. Um, now. And then the media response, or the response he gave the media, which was kind of the biggest problem with everything, I guess. I mean, I watched that crash, and I thought people were going to be injured bad. I thought people were it dead, looked, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Pedro, Pedro literally went flying into, into three meters into the air. Probably yeah. more of what they said for us was that he flew over five meters into the air. Yeah, it was so bad. I watched that shaking and I think, was it, I think it was Philip Salaj who crashed like a few laps before that yeah. and they had to like transport him to the hospital, which thank God he was fine, I think, because he raced like an endurance race the weekend after. Mm. Um, but that already had me shaking because... Like, I'd worry about everyone on the grid, but Philip Salaj is one of my favorites. And they didn't really show what happened to him. And I was already on the edge because it was red flagged. And I was like, I don't like where this is going. And then that particular crash onto caused, oh Lord, that was absolutely horrifying to watch. But I'm so glad everyone walked away from that at least okay yeah yeah I know Dennis oh. didn't really handle it in the best way but I do think that the penalties need to be more fairer across the board because so many riders have swerved out of the slipstream before but they've not got any penalties but then as soon as a major crash happens 
they get a penalty straight away. Obviously, that penalty is pretty bad, but I think it definitely needed to happen. Show yeah. riders that they can't just do that and not get away with it, but it definitely needs to be more consistent. And also about the crash that was really scary. Obviously, um, it involved a better Costa than Minho. I yeah. do not remember his first name. Andrea. So sorry. Andrea. Andrea Minho and then Jeremy Alcoba. And like Lauren said, I was scared that people were going to fly because I wasn't like fully paying attention to it when it happened. And then when I look back, I see bikes flying. I see people flying. And if I remember correctly, um, Andrea Minho slid off his bike and hit his like kept sliding so he hit his head pretty hard on a barrier that is also oh that was Pedro Pedro had he flipped over his bike and then because he had so much momentum he just ran into the barrier yeah the way it went is yeah the way it went was that um Minu the the crash caused by Anshu Minu then hit it because he was behind and then Pedro was in about 10th place Everyone had scattered at that point. Pedro's then coming straight head on into Minu, who's crashed into another crash. Pedro's bike literally like flew up over Andrea Minu's, and Pedro did like a front flip then and landed into the barrier. Minu was like skidding along along the circuit. I'm like, I have refused to watch it back to be honest because of how scared I was, but. Yeah, I don't know. I actually I actually worked on content because of that crash to do a crash analysis and to rewatch it and focus on each rider, even those who were behind and just narrowly missing riders or bikes. It was just scary because Alcoba, he was sliding uh, over the floor and Sasaki and Fanati almost hit him as well. Mm-hmm. Then you had Pedro Acosta into the barriers. Antonali had to weave through the bikes who that were laying on the floor. It was just crazy. It could have been so much worse because Pedro, for example, he was completely blindsided. I don't think he even saw what he was getting himself into. And there is no like margin like of time to react. Nothing. He couldn't do anything. And it was like... I don't remember. Was it even last season where was it Ben Snyder who crashed in Moto 2? And like Aaron Canet and I don't know who the other one was, just went around him like yeah. barely. Barely. Yeah, like almost him. hit him. Almost in Austria, I think. Oh, that was a bad one as well. Or Aaron's crash in Portugal where he slid down the hill. And they were coming like from the top of the hill down and they didn't see him. And he had to like run to the side because he was in the middle of the track. Those are crashes you don't want to see because someone is going to get run over at some point. Yeah, I think that takes us back to Carly's point with penalties and just the consistency overall. And that is a topic completely for another day that we could just go on and on and on about but yeah Dennis Onchu his crash and definitely his behavior after the crash was a big talking point of the Moto3 season I think definitely with his team I know he's involved with the likes of what's his name Keenan 
Tafogalu or whatever his name is, who is Top Rack. Um, top Rack's manager I just think that whole group of people didn't really handle it the best way let's say mm. and for someone young like Dennis who is just starting his career a scandal as such like that and a crash like that isn't how you want yourself to be portrayed for sure especially after the media response I feel like um it could have been handled much better. And like you said, he's only starting out his career. He's very young. He's going to turn 19 this year. Um, things like that really might end your career. Like you never know. And he is a very talented writer after all. And things like that is something you just don't need. They stick with you. They don't go away yeah. that quickly. People will remember, especially after a crash like that, that had such an impact on people. Um, in a year that it was already a bad year for the sport, um, considering how many young riders passed away. Um, it's, yeah, not, and if, it's, it's not acceptable, really. Just no. the way it was handled and the way that young riders feel like they are invincible in that sense. Yeah, uh, especially in Moto3, you see a lot of crashes happening. And I think that is partly because the field is so close to each other and they do, they are literally like I think just following each other. And that is something that creates those risks that they have. Yeah, I don't know if it was Marcel Schröter who said that Moto3... Um, is like a shark tank because the guys are trying to prove themselves. They are the ones with the least experience out of everyone and they have so much pressure on them. Um, so it's really such a dangerous class. Like in MotoGP, I'm rarely worried for like the first corner of a race. In Moto3, it has me on the edge of my seat because I'm so scared. Someone will crash into another rider because the first corner is usually a tough one because they're still so close together um that it's really not that easy i mean we could talk for hours about the 2021 season as you guys can tell but that is it for our second episode of the Siding Lap podcast we really hope you enjoyed our recap of the 2021 season and we will be back next week for our predictions for the 2022 season we're going to tell you who you should keep your eyes on for this season so if you want to find us make sure to follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at the siding lab to stay up to date with all things motorsport related we will see you guys next week